Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. starting a new series that's uh, called Generosity in a Box, so we'll be dealing with generosity uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, really up until, when I tell you what, I may go one week beyond our packing Sunday, which is November the 17th. Uh, the reason being, uh, our small group, uh, the one that I, I lead on Tuesday night, Sunday night, we'll get to watch it in a couple of weeks, but we watched a uh, video by David Platt. Uh, talking about the the Christian and his wealth and about generosity. And, uh, Lord, it just kind of rocked me and left me like all the air was sucked out of the room. So I don't know yet, but the Sunday after we kind of finish the series, we may play you that 32-minute videotape because I think it may be worthwhile of doing that. It uh, It is just really, really good information, and I'll probably be sharing a little bit from that. Uh, but one of the reasons we're focusing on generosity, and we're going to kind of have that illustration that you saw in the uh, intro video of, uh, of building a box. Uh, so we're going to start out talking about the bottom of the box. And it's kind of like an ongoing picture of what we will be doing with Operation Christmas Child as we uh, pack boxes and seal the boxes up and, and send them off. Um, so today we're talking about the foundation uh, or the bottom of the box. Uh, which is the, the Christian and, the, and their finances, or Christians and their finances. And, and the reason that's important, if we're not managing that correctly, uh, then we're not going to probably have the ability to practice generosity the way God would have us or desire for us to practice generosity. Uh, so the way we're going to approach things today uh, is I'm going to cover some biblical content about generosity, and, and then uh, uh, Lynn Crump, that might get confused, and we'll have two Lynns on stage today, but Lynn Crump is going to come up at the end of the message and kind of share some things uh, from the uh, uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace to give us some tips about how we can be uh, more generous. Now, some of you may have seen this come out in, in the Day 3 Share, so while I'm not just dealing with Operation Christmas Child in this series, will approach generosity from a lot of different ways. I want to point out some information for you. Now, if you remember last year, our goal was 600. We went over by about 100 boxes, had 700. Uh, so you guys, by your generosity, last year uh, caused me to dream a little bit big, and I said, let's do 1,000 boxes this year. I still think we can do that. But I kind of want to let you know where we stand right now. We have around uh, enough uh, items to pack 300 shoe boxes, and that's about where we were last year. But we just need to kind of ramp it up uh, a little bit. So uh, let me show you some information they're going to bring up on the screen. To meet our goal, here's roughly what we need. We need 601 notebooks or packs of notebook paper. Uh, we need 3,236. Now, that sounds like a big number, but we're talking about pencils. You know, it doesn't take very much to go buy uh, pencils. Uh, we need 737 washcloths, um, 2,640 crayons, uh, 360 toys, uh, 717 toothbrushes, 651 scissors, those safety scissors that kids can use, uh, plus other items like shoes, socks, uh, toothbrush covers, accessories, uh, combs, hairbrushes, erasers, and then maybe whatever wow item uh, that you want to pack in there. So guys, I, I think we can do that, but what it's going to do is take all of us as we go to Walmart or to the store, wherever you shop at, thinking about that and, and going buying these items and then bringing these items and deposit them in this box on Sunday morning. That way, when we get to our packing Sunday uh, on the 17th of November, we'll have all uh, the items that we need, and maybe we can even surprise ourselves and go over that amount again. Now, we've got what I call a trump card, uh, hopefully for us, and that is that both Lynn and Angie's uh, daughters, uh, Bethany and, and, and Brittany, they both are volunteers with Operation Christmas Child. So we're going to uh, get them to give us some good content and, and encouragement and everything through this series. So please be praying uh, about that. I, I just want to start out this series by talking about this. We, we have a scriptural call or a biblical call as Christians to practice generosity. God expects us to practice generosity. Uh, we're going to be 
building that generosity box from week to week. We'll put signs on it and then a lid on it and seal it up and maybe kind of ask ourselves the uh, question right before we pack the week before, hey, have I been generous? And evaluate ourselves whether we've really practiced generosity uh, or not. So I just want to go through the Bible some, through uh, the uh, written word, and see that the written word and the living word Jesus calls upon us to practice generosity. And then Lynn's going to come up and, and hopefully give you some practical tips to get you uh, kick-started in that direction. Uh, he will probably say this later, but as you hear the all the message today, and if you realize that you need some personal help, if you'll come see us, we can get someone to talk with you and lead you through it and, and try and get you some personal help. And all he can do today is kind of whet your appetite a little bit about Financial Peace University. Uh, we've offered it here before. We want to offer it again in the future. And if you've not been through it, or maybe if you didn't have the success because you failed to practice the things, uh, then we want to invite you to take it the next time we offer it. So let's look at the, at the biblical call for Christians to practice generosity. I'm going to kind of give you a foundational verse that we refer to as the great commandment. And, and it's found here in uh, the version I'm reading is Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, talking about Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he's testing Jesus. He's not really that interested in the answer, I don't think. But he said to him, Jesus kind of throws the question back, and he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So this lawyer answered, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And then Jesus responded to him, you've answered correctly, do this, and you shall live. So that verse really tells us to do a lot of things, but in in terms of generosity, I think if we look at that verse, we can say this, our our generosity is somewhat attached to our love for God and our love for others. Our our generosity is is somewhat attached to to where our passions lie, to where our focus is. And as believers, we're told this as a commandment, a great commandment for us that we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. That's a commandment that God has given us. We're to love God in that way. And not just that, but we're also to love our neighbor or love others as we love ourselves. Now stop and think about that last part for a minute. How much have you spent loving yourself this year? versus loving somebody else, versus Operation Christmas Child, or anything else. Kind of ask yourself that question and and evaluate that. See, practice generosity does this. Practice generosity gives a demonstration of what we say we believe. You, you, You can be generous in your heart and generous in your mind, but that doesn't demonstrate or put it on display for other people to see. But when we practice generosity as we ought to, especially when we're doing it in response to the great generosity that that God has for us, when we practice generosity toward toward God, it's visible that we love God, or, or maybe regrettably, the lack of generosity looks like we don't love God very much. The way we practice generosity toward others can communicate in a tangible way to other people to where they can understand you're being generous toward them and you're trying to love them. Or maybe the lack of us practicing generosity might display a lack of love that we have for for others. So kind of with that in, in mind, I, I want to uh, ask you kind of two main questions today before Lynn comes up. Here, here's question number one. Do you know, do you recognize that you are rich? Now, I'm just guessing. (laughs) Some of you, when you hear that, you push back a little bit. And you say, but but preacher, you don't really know me. You don't know my situation. I'm, I'm not really rich. Well, before you draw that conclusion and stick with it, I want you to keep your ears open and listen to what else I'm going to say. To begin with, if you're a Christian, the Bible teaches if you are a Christian, you are spiritually rich. Look what the Bible tells us here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, 
Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And then he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, that passage of Scripture tells us several things. It tells us if we're believers, we've experienced the rich mercy of God. Guys, I'm glad he was rich in mercy because I could have burned it all up in, in just a matter of time. Amen? I'm glad he was rich in mercy. Even when we were sinners, it says God loved us with a great love. And, and through faith in Christ, God has taken us who were spiritually dead sinners, and he's made us alive with Christ. And, and as Christians... We, we're spiritually rich because of God's grace, because of God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And he used that grace and unmerited favor to save us. Now, I'm afraid we get over that sometimes, guys. Do you ever get over maybe what God has done for you? Think about that and understand how huge that is. He saved us. If In fact, you know Christ is your Savior. That, that should never become old hat for us. And it tells us that after God saves us, he views us like this. He views us as though we are seated in heaven with him now. I understand you're still here, but God's perspective is this. If you know Christ is your Savior, it's God is so sure that's where you're going to be one day. He looks at it as though you are already seated with Christ in heaven today. That, that's how God views us. And he says, while we're there with him in eternity and the countless ages to come, he's going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. You can't measure it. You can't fully figure it all out. But God's going to have all eternity to show us how rich his grace was toward us. So as a believer, you're rich, whether you've thought about it or not. You are, you're rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So think about what that's teaching. Jesus by grace left heaven. Guys, he was walking on streets of gold. He didn't have to come and walk in the dirt and be rejected by people. But he left heaven. He left the glory of heaven. He came into this world. Jesus himself said he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He came to experience our physical poverty, but he came to experience our spiritual poverty so that through his poverty, you and I can become spiritually rich. That's what Jesus did for us. So if you're a Christian, you are rich. I want to begin this generosity series by, by just challenging us to understand up front, you are spiritually rich if you're a Christian. And I know it's on the screen, but I want to point out to you, I, I, I don't know, you know, evaluate real quick in your mind. What do you think is your most valuable possession? Whatever it is, unless you said what it is on the screen, you were wrong. But it's our greatest wealth as believers is the gospel. That, that's the greatest riches that we have. It's the greatest we, riches that we possess. It's the greatest wealth and the greatest riches that we can share with others is the gospel of Christ. So I'm asking if you realize you're rich, and as a Christian, the Bible teaches you're spiritually rich. But guys, also, we need to recognize as Americans, we are materially rich that I know of all of us are Americans. And that means whether we recognize it or not, we are materially rich. Here's why I say that. When most of the people in the world think about what it means to be rich, you know what they think of? America or an American. That's what they think of. When, when, when someone thinks about what it means to be rich, they think about you. Irregardless of where you think you are in your status, you may not think you're materially rich, but when the rest of the world thinks about wealth, they think about you, and they think about the environment that you live in and the lifestyle that you live. See, the truth of the matter is this. <laughs> if you have clean water to drink, if you have food to eat, if you have clothing on your body, if you have shoes on your feet, 
you have a shelter over your head, if you have access to medicine, even simple medicine, that can help meet physical needs that you have. If you have transportation, even if it's just public transportation that's offered in America. If you have those things, if you've got the ability to read, by world standards, you're rich. Did you know that? Economic professors Stephen Corbett and, and Brian Ficker, by the way, they happen to be believers, uh, and referring to Americans, they said this, by any measure, we're the richest people ever, instead of every, ever, to walk on planet Earth. Now, some of you can identify with what I'm about to say, because I've, I've experienced in my own life, I think, both, both emotions and realms I've, I've been in somewhat. Most of you know my dad was murdered, and he was the, the breadwinner for our family. And, and he was murdered when I was 11 years old. So all of a sudden, all that's gone. You know, uh, he had issues, problems, uh, alcohol, and things like that. So he didn't bring a lot of it home, but whatever he did make home, it, it was gone all of a sudden. And I remember seeing our community reach out to our family just a few days before Christmas, being sure that my brother and I can have Christmas and seeing money uh, given to my mother. Guys, I, I, I grew up, and some of you can identify with this, I, I grew up that if we did not have maybe some, some green beans and potatoes or, or pinto beans and cornbread, I might not be here today, you know. I survived okay, you can tell that. <laughs> but I've experienced that in my life. I've had the opportunity, and I think it is an opportunity, I've had the opportunity even within America to go to some really slum areas where people live in boxes. I've had the opportunity not just to see it in America, but, but I've had the opportunity to go to Guatemala on a mission trip. And while we were there, we built a house for a family of five that would be smaller than our connection area outside. That would be smaller than, than most of the single rooms you have in, in your homes. And, and I saw the poverty that was there in, in that village. We went on a mission trip to West Palm Beach, Florida years ago and took our youth down there. So you've got this extreme wealth in West Palm Beach, and then you just go a few blocks over and find extreme poverty and homeless people that were there in, in that area. I've been in the homes of people that were very wealthy to where maybe I felt like I didn't stack up. But I've also felt guilty about my own home. We just live in kind of a split four-year home, not fancy. But I remember feeling guilty about my own home when I was building that block house in Guatemala. And just kind of telling that story, maybe for you to rehearse in your mind some of the places you've been in your life. And I'm just telling you, I think we fail to recognize many times in America, by the, by the standards of the peoples of the world, we're rich, guys. We're, we're wealthy by the standards of the people in the world. So as Americans, and as American Christians... I think we both have the obligation and, listen to this, the opportunity to practice generosity in our, our lives toward others. Question number two is, is simply this. I talked some about salvation a minute ago. I'll, I'll read some more out of Ephesians here in a moment. But do you know that your faith should include actions? that your faith should include good works, that because you're saved, because of the gospel, because of what God has done for you in Christ, you ought to have good actions. So as a Christian, if you are a Christian, you've been saved by faith. You've experienced what I read a moment ago, the vast riches of God's mercy and grace. You've been saved by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You, you've been saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us this, for by grace, not by your works, not by your personal goodness, but for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. 
See, guys, the truth of the gospel is this. You were not, are not, and cannot be saved as a result of your personal good works. That's a complete impossibility that you can never, ever be saved by good works. If somehow you were to be able to save yourself, you know what we'd do? We'd boast about it, wouldn't we? We'd go around and pat ourselves on the back, but it doesn't work that way. The only one we can brag on is Jesus. You see, the, the gospel does this for us. The gospel means that you're free to rest in the finished work of Jesus. Just the same as you sit in that chair because you need a place to rest. Or you go home and you sit in a recliner or lay on the couch or, or go to bed in the evening because you need a place to rest. You and I as believers, we rest eternally in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus said it is finished and we believe that by faith. We believe he did everything necessary for us to be saved and we trust without reservation in the finished work of Jesus. That's how we become a Christian. It's not by works because we go around bragging about it. But we need to keep reading here in Ephesians. Because verse 10 tells us this. We are his workmanship. In other words, guys, he made us. He he created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Christians, we're his workmanship. He made us and he has planned Good works for us to do in our lives. Not in order to be saved, but because we're saved. You see, we're we're not only saved by grace through faith to rest in the finished work of Jesus, we're also saved to do something we've never ever been able to do before we were saved. And that's to do good works for God. To do good works for Jesus. He, He saved us by his grace, by his mercy, so you and I can do things we could not do before. And yes, we we rest in the finished work of Jesus, but we also need to rest in this. We need to understand we're free to trust in Jesus, to rest in what he did for us, but we're also free to do good works for God, and we could not do that before. And I would argue that generosity is part of good works. I'm going to close my section by just kind of reading some verses in the Bible that point us toward generosity, and then Lynn's going to come. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13 says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Think about that. If you want some help yourself sometime, you better be giving help to others. Proverbs 28, verse 27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, and and James never was teaching about being saved by good works. He's teaching about having a salvation that works, (laughs) and there's a difference. But it says, what good is it? So focus in on that for a minute. That's why I put it emboldened there. What good is it? My brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith, can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm to be filled without giving him the things needed for the body, notice what's said here again, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have good works, is dead. In other words, what good is our faith if it doesn't provoke us to generosity? What what good is our faith if it doesn't provoke us to act with generosity, to, to act with meeting the needs and having good works toward God and others? 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, talking about Jesus. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, in light of what Jesus did for us, Gives us a a picture of what we need to be doing for other people. But if anyone has this world goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in, in, in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So in other words, guys, as Christians, in a wealthy culture that we've already established, all of us live in in America, as Christians in a wealthy culture, we ought to be motivated and compelled to take action. 
We need to take action with sacrificial, selfless, costly action to practice generosity. And if we fail to practice generosity, when we have the means to practice generosity, it, it kind of sounds like maybe God's love doesn't dwell in us. It almost sounds like maybe we need to ask ourselves whether we're really saved or not. Matthew chapter 7, 15 and 16, but we're a false prophets. I know he's talking about false teachers who come to you and sheep's clothing in with the ravenous wolves, but notice what he said here. You will recognize them by the fruits. That's not just talking about false teachers. There ought to be fruits from our lives that people can see that give them the confidence and convince them that we actually know Christ as our Savior. Matthew chapter 25, we don't have time to read all the exchange there as Jesus brings the, the nation before him and, and gives a picture of judgment taking place. And the king will answer them after he said, hey, you, you visited me, you did this, I was in prison and, and everything, you fed me. And the king will answer them and say, truly I say to you, uh, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you, you did it to me. Because they were saying, when did we do that, Jesus? And they said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Flip side of that is this. Then he'll answer the ones that did not do ministry to other people. Then he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Guys, let me read some scripture to give you a picture of God doing God type things. Psalm 146 verse 7 who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. God does that kind of stuff. Isaiah 25, verse 4, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. God does that kind of stuff. And you might be thinking, well, sure, God does that kind of stuff. Do you realize the Scriptures tell us we're to imitate God? Because in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. We are to imitate God. We're to imitate Christ. We're to walk in love toward others. And as Jesus gave himself up for us, we need to give ourselves for others. Paul writes this, or said this rather, in, in, in Acts 20, verse 35. Luke was the one recording it. said, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Now, some people will read that and they'll say, but I, I looked through the Bible. I can't see where Jesus ever said that. The Bible also teaches that the Apostle Paul, after he was saved and went off in the desert, had some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. <laughs> And the Bible does record everything Jesus ever said. You recognize that, don't you? But here, if Paul says it, that means he said it. Amen? How the Lord Jesus, how he himself said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, all that being said, you may be thinking, sure, preacher, I agree with that. I agree we ought to practice generosity. I, I, I believe we ought to imitate God. I believe we ought to love others. And... And yet you're also thinking, but, <laughs> man, I've got these bills, I've got these situations and everything. Listen up, Lynn's going to give some tips and maybe help us in that direction. Thank you. Now, how many of you have been in circumstances where you've had the opportunity and you feel like God was just leading you to share and was God was leading you to help this person, whether it's somebody on the side of the street, whether it's a friend and you look at him and you think to yourself, I don't have the money. I just can't because I'm financially strapped where I can't do that. What a crime and what a sin I believe that that is. If you get yourself into those situations where you can't do what God's called you to do. Because I do believe, I strongly believe that God has blessed each and every one of us, not so that we can absorb it for ourselves, but so that we can go out and share and help others. What a blessing it is. Those of you who have been able to participate in doing things, it's just such a great blessing. A lot of what you're going to hear me talk about is just some practical experience. A lot of this has to do with some life experiences. Uh, some of this has to do with the uh, great opportunity that my daughter Bethany and I had to teach Financial Peace University. I am uh, very much of a Dave Ramsey fan, not necessarily a Dave Ramsey the person, but for, but for the methodology and the things that he teaches. 
Some of the reasons why I really do like that, one of them is because I do believe that he gives some very practical uh, advice. I do believe that if you're in a situation where you need help, you must have a plan to get out of that situation. If you just go through life and just go from floating around life, it's not going to happen. So I think he does give some very practical advice for doing that. One of the things that he does, and I'm a little audience participation here, one of the things that his system is based on is based on getting out of debt. So somebody, if you can, uh, one of the verses that preacher didn't share, Proverbs 22.7. So someone grab, open your Bible, get your Bible, get your app. Somebody stand up and read Proverbs 22.7. Who's got it? I see. Uh, you do have your, this is church. You do have your Bibles, don't you? 22.7. Somebody's got it. Who's got it? Okay, she has a Bible paper. He has an app. I'm seeing which one's the fastest. Whoa, I got it to you, guy. And with the Bible in her hand, (laughs) smoked you both. (laughs) Thank you, Richard. Wow. What was those last words? You hear that? What was that last sentence there? The borrower is slave to the lender. How many of you have been in those situations where you are the slave? So there, when you go credit card debt, car use car debt or new car debt, you are slave to the lender. So in other words, but I will tell you the other thing that I really like about uh, Dave Ramsey and his program is the end, what the end result is. The end result is not to build wealth for yourself that you have this nice home so that you have all these things that you want to succeed in life. If you look at the last sentence here, it says, give like no one else. So that when you get to the point in life to where you have got your finances in order, it's so that you can give and you can be generous like no one else. So some of the tips I'm going to give you will help you with that. One of the other things I can tell you about this program is I have seen it personally work. I can give you an example of a lady who is a single mom. And this single mom has a job at just above minimum wage. This mom has three children, ages 8, 10, and 15. How many of you know the expenses of that? I had the distinct pleasure of taking this single mom, making minimum wage, to a car lot and pay $8,000 cash for a car. The reason why she did that was because she was practicing this. She was on a budget, and she was doing that. On the flip side, I also know some people who are, I know them personally, who are very well-paid professional people who are experiencing life to where the expenses are coming at them very rapidly because, again, they have children, and they're getting ready to graduate college. When you get kids that are 16, 17, 18, car expenses, insurance expenses, college expenses, and they were not prepared, and they are financially hurting seriously. And again, this is people who make a very, very good living. So it's not an income issue. It's a, it's a commitment and a budget issue. So some of the things I'm going to t- talk to you a little bit about here is just to give you some practical advice. Um, if you need more, again, Lynn, uh, we can get you help on that. So just a couple things that you need to be aware of, and this is true for any program that you look at. It talks about budgeting. Mm-hmm. Many people, when you think budgeting, you think about this restricting, this thing that will not allow you to do what you want to do. Quite frankly, it's the opposite. It is a very freeing experience. So the budget, basically to get a budget started, uh, if you guys haven't run a budget for, I would encourage you, first of all, to go at least one month and write down every single dollar that you spend Write it down and record it, and then at the end of the month, go back and look at it. It will be an alarming experience. You will be, you will be very alarmed at how much dollars, few dollars you spend on uh, food, on how much you spend on just uh, stopping at the convenience store. And you go to the convenience store and you get a, a drink and a pack of crackers. That's $5. You do that five times a day, do that, then all of a sudden you spend $100 on crackers and drinks. It's a very alarming thing. But as far as the budget goes, to make absolutely sure when you do this, every single dollar counts. In other words, you give every single dollar a name. So you write down every single one of your... First of all, you write down your income. 
and understand where your income is, and then second of all, write down every single one of your expenses and name every single one of those. When you get done with your budget, your budget should actually be a balance sheet where you have zero at the bottom. In other words, you have named every single dollar, and you run with that. And, and there's a note on here that basically says be flexible. It's not be flexible on whether you follow the budget. It's be flexible about your about where you put these items. Because sometimes it can be very confusing. When I go to the store and I get that pack of drinking crackers, is that groceries? Is that entertainment? It doesn't really matter where you put it as long as you put it and you identify it and you track it. So you've got to follow that. And, and things have been recorded and so on. Once you do this, you can finally get, uh, uh, you can get control of your expenses. The second thing I'll talk about a little bit, and this is, this is something that's been going on for quite some time, is next slide. It's this envelope system. This has to do with going to the store and actually using cash. Now, for those of you young people who don't know what that is, that's that green stuff that you kind of exchange. You may not know what that is because we don't use that very. It's not, not part of our culture anymore. It's becoming less and less. But studies have shown that it, if you can take this envelope system and you put an envelope for your groceries, you put an envelope for your entertainment, you put an envelope for when you're going out to eat, and you actually take that envelope out and you actually hand somebody cash, that's a pretty painful thing. And it's a revealing thing. So I would encourage you, if, especially those who are getting started on a budget, take part of that, most of that money and take it and put it in envelopes and, put it in there and, and spend that cash. Uh, again, it's not an easy thing to do uh, to put it in the envelopes, but it is. It will restrict you and it'll help you understand doing that. You know, as you guys know, those of you who have uh, technology as far as, as Apple Pay, it's becoming more and more easy just to basically click your phone, click your watch, wand it over the thing, and you're gone. Not very painful, very easy to add things when you when you don't have that thing of, of being able to hand over cash. So there's just a couple of things. So the other thing with it, and again, this is more practical advice. Uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, basically, if you get a hold of your finances and managers, he takes them into steps, and those are called the baby steps. One thing that I, I really, really like about this system is, and the thing that society does not teach you, it does not teach you about risk. You can do an assessment of your financial situation the way you are today, and everything may be fine and hunky-dory, and, and, oh, I can do that. I can probably afford to spend $200 a month on a car. It's not that big a deal. I make X amount of money. The problem is... What happens tomorrow? What happens tomorrow when you get sick and all of a sudden you can't work? What happens tomorrow when your company is in a uh, reduction in force and you all of a sudden lose your job? That's the circumstances that you got to be careful of. So it's that risk that this takes in involvement. So the very first thing, the very first baby step, and again, these are steps. And they're, if you notice, they're numbered one through seven. They're not bullets. These are actually steps. So you don't go to one until, you go to, until you've repeated the one before. So if you haven't done anything, the very first thing you want to do is to get $1,000 in your savings. That means you're not investing toward retirement. You're not investing toward your kid's college fund. You're not uh, paying extra on your house. You're not paying extra on your debt. You're paying minimum payments on your credit cards, minimum, minimum on everything until you get $1,000 saved up. Once that $1,000 is there, that's a little bit of breathing room for you just in case because I guarantee you that, first of all, it always happens. Second of all, the devil knows what's going on here. <laughs> and I guarantee you when you take serious your finances, something's going to hit you out of left field. And that $1,000 is the case so that you don't go into chaos all of a sudden because usually the answer to that society will tell you, what do you do when you get into trouble? Put it on your credit card, right? Put it on your credit card, you're late on the payment, What's your interest rate? 25 to 30%. Okay, that's just the way the system works. So get that first thing is get that $1,000 saved up. The second of all is to attack your, your debt like there is no tomorrow. In other words, like Dave says, it's rice and beans, beans and rice. You're going after your debt, and you do that. Next slide. You do that by doing it with your debt snowball. So basically, as in a lot of people, you have, a, you have several debts. That can be anything from a credit card to your college loans to a used car. But basically, you think about those and you line those up smallest to largest. On everything except for the smallest one, you make your minimum payment on. Whatever minimum payment is required, and you attack the smallest one like there's no tomorrow. So you go after that smallest one. So if you're paying $50, 60 $100 a month to get that smallest one, as soon as you get it done... You take that hundred that you were paying on the smallest one and you apply it to the next one and you go after that one. 
At the end, so now you're paying $200 a month. And then all of a sudden, you take that $200 and you apply it to the next one. So you just go after it from smallest to largest. There are all kind of logistics. You can go and say about debt consolidation and all that, but this is a methodology that will get you out quicker than trying to go through the headaches of debt consolidation. Okay? So in other words, get yourself out of debt. Next slide. So by, by this point, uh, you really don't have any debt. Okay, so things, you can start to breathe just a little bit. So the next one is you are, again, I talked about risk mitigation. This is, again, the major risk mitigation. So once you, you're no debt, you've taken that money. Now you take that money and build up three to six months of expenses. This is really a good safety net to have, to have in place for the just in case all crap breaks loose. <laughs> in other words, you're diagnosed with some illness you're, you're having to take care of your parents. You're having all of a sudden some, something, because this is what puts people in financial shape when the thing happens out of left field that you simply just did not see coming. So if you've got three to six months savings uh, of expenses, something happens, you can take a breath. All of a sudden, heaven forbid, you lose your job. You can just take a deep breath and say, okay, I can survive well for six months. That's enough time to not to make any irrational decisions because that's usually what happens in these situations is you're making an irrational decision. So this gives you some breathing room to be able to do that. Once you've got that, once you've got that into place, then the next one is to really start thinking about your retirement. Again, we haven't done anything about retirement up to here. Okay, so what this is telling you is back off on your retirement, back off on everything until you can get your three to six months done. So once you're there, you know, you think about putting, it shows, the studies show 15% of your income into retirement. That sounds like a big chunk, but keep in mind, right now in this stage, you're not, you don't have any debt except for your house. You don't have any debt, so you're not making payments, you're not paying car payments, you're making credit card payments, you're not doing any of that, 15%. If you do the math, if, if, if I had applied this, this methodology and put 15% when I was my daughter's age, when I was 30, and I'm, I'm 58 now, I would be sitting on $3.5 million. Quite frankly, I'm not. I wish I was. I, if I, I wouldn't be working today. But again, if you put in a modest amount, and again, a modest amount, 15% of your income. So if you're putting $1,000 a month and you're age 30, by the time you get to 62, which is, you know, a, a decent retirement age, you're looking at $3 million. Now, take that $3 million and you earn a 10% interest rate on that, which is what you should be able to do in a mutual fund. How much money are you making a year? What's 10% of? Three, yeah, 300 grand. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how much you could give and how much you could go help if you're pulling in 300 grand a year? I mean, the math just works, but the, pro- but the thing is, you've got to have a plan, got to have a system. So I encourage young people, listen, start doing this from the very, very beginning because trust me, trust me, they, you'll, you'll be where I'm at at 58 before, at, at, in a snap before you know it. So I would just encourage you, 15% to get that started now. You know, if you look at the math by then, by the age 55, you should be done. You should be able to retire and be able to go out and give like there's no tomorrow. So the next one after that, if you have kids, is, again, step, step, step. You're, you're, now you're in a position where you have no debt except for your house. You're, you're popping in 15% a month into your retirement. It's time to start thinking about your co- kids' college. So, again, there's all kinds of programs out there. That the the uh, NC State has some programs. There's other programs that financial institutions have. I would, I would advise you to go get help in doing that. There are some very affordable ways to get your kids to college. Most, uh, you know, again, I'm a huge Dave Ramsey fan. I listen to his podcast a lot. It is alarming the number of people who come and call into that show that have in excess of a hundred grand worth of debt because of college. So I would just encourage you to do that. The next one is to pay off your home early. Again, when I talk about home purchases, those of you who are interested or thinking about home purchases, fifteen-year fixed. Uh, mortgage rate, I mean 15% fixed uh, mortgage, and make sure that your house payment is not more than 25% of your take-home pay. Because if you, if, you, if, you, if you go against either one of those, you're going to become house poor. 
and you're going to get yourself strapped. So again, I'll just repeat that. Uh, 15% year fixed interest uh, mortgage rate, 20, and then, then your total payment, including, including escrow, should not be more than 25% of your take-home pay. So if those of you are interested in buying houses, kind of run those numbers right quick, and that'll give you some kind of uh, average of where you can do it. So by now, you've got your house paid for, and everything is going great. You've got plenty of money. And by the way, it, during these phases, once you get, once you get to uh, where you're out of debt and you're, in, you're putting 15% of retirement, by then, you should have some time to have some, actually to have some fun. For those of you who have opportunity, who love to travel, you have at it. You deserve it. Again, you don't have any debt. You're, you're ready for your retirement, and you're, willing to, you're, you're uh, able to give. So again, this is not a strap. This, this is a freedom thing. And then the last one is, of course, to build and to give like there's no tomorrow. So I would just encourage you to make sure that we, as Christians, we just don't get into the position to where when you have an opportunity and you see someone who needs help, when you see someone who, whether, again, whether it's a homeless person on the side of the street, whether it's an opportunity to go to Guatemala, whether it's an opportunity to partner yourself with a family who's less privileged than you are, just don't get yourself into the situation where you can't do that because I am, I am convinced that we as Christians, first of all, God blesses us so that we can help others. God blesses us not so we can absorb it and so we can do things for ourselves, but so, we, so that we can help others. And I also do believe as much as I enjoy taking what God has blessed me with and I enjoy playing and I enjoy toys, I can tell you the best times of my life are helping others. The lady that I spoke of, who I had the distinct privilege of taking her so that she could go pay cash for a car was one of the most awesome days of my life. Knowing that she was making minimal wage, but knowing that she had followed a program and and she was able to do that was just the most awesome thing. So I would just encourage you to make sure that you, if you don't follow this program, follow a, get get on something to, to release yourself from the burdens and so that each and every one of you do not become a, a slave to the lender. Thank you. So, something I want to point out real quick, because I know it's kind of a different type of message today. The series will be a little bit different, but, but guys, it's to focus us uh, really toward generosity in, in, in all areas, but especially toward Operation Christmas Child as we work toward that date. And even as we work toward our Christmas offering, because we'll be sending money uh, off through the uh, International Mission Board, you know, to help support missionaries and, and things like that through, uh, the, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So just go ahead and think about uh, generosity. And and think about maybe how we can practice generosity beyond just who we are, beyond just who our family is, especially when it comes to Christmas and how we can uh, invest in ways to, to impact others. Now, that being said, uh, you know, the, you might be thinking, well, the, the first part of it was a little bit like a sermon. The second part wasn't. Uh, I'd, I'd say the same thing I did in the first service. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit can take what Lynn just shared and rock your world ever been as much as if it was like a sermon. If you'll be honest about where you are in your finances and, and where you want to be and how you can use some of those principles. Now, all that being said, I, I want to ask you during this invitation time, I want you to think about and pray about, first of all, Operation Christmas Child and how we can meet that goal and, and remind yourself, write it down, whatever. I saw somebody making a picture of the screen earlier. And, and let's work toward that goal and, and let's... Yeah, we've already seen in the last series the foundational thing of all those cultural things is to glorify God. Amen? If we're focused on glorifying God, then all those cultural issues we talked about is kindly fixed and taken care of in that. Well, we need to glorify God in our generosity too and, and through Operation Christmas Child. So please be, be praying about that uh, and, and, and be praying about your own personal situation. And as Leon said, and I've said both this morning, if you recognize you need help, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't allow Satan to use your pride to keep you where you are. And if you'd like for us to try and get you matched with somebody to talk with you, we've got you know, at least two or three people I can think of in our church that I think can help you do that. And we can even get access to someone outside of our church if need be to help you. But don't sit back and allow the devil to use pride to keep you where you are, okay?
Also, I want you to think about this, because I did talk a lot about salvation in the message, even though it was in the direction of generosity. The greatest investment you can ever make in your life is to give your life to Jesus. I promise you. That's the greatest investment you can ever make. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior during this invitation today, why, why not choose today to say yes to Jesus, to give your, your life to him, and then live for him? I mean, generosity and, and, and all the other ways he calls us to live for him. Because after he saves you, that's when he frees you up not just to rest in him, but he frees you up to where you can do stuff for him. Things that last for eternity that you can do for him. Let's pray. Father, during this time of invitation, I, I pray you help us to evaluate our personal situations. And Father, if there's someone here in, in, uh, in drastic need, Father, don't let them to... Uh, don't let them believe a lie that the devil wants to, to give them just to keep his stuff down and pretend it's not there. And, uh, Father, give them the boldness they need to come forward and ask for advice and, and help and counseling. Father, I also pray that you help us to make serious decisions this morning to make our goals in Operation Christmas Child, to realize the lifestyle that we live is greatly different than the lifestyle across the world and how these simple items in a box can communicate your love to these children and to their families, can open up a door for them to experience a Bible study for weeks and and, and hopefully experience Christ as Savior. Father, I believe Operation Christmas Child is one of the one of the greatest missional evangelistic efforts that exist on our planet today. So, Father, help us to buy into that. Help us to do all that we can to reach our goal. We pray for other churches across our world, Father, especially here in America because of the means we have. Father, I pray it will be the biggest year for Operation Christmas Child ever, and there will be the biggest, biggest numbers we've ever heard, not to brag about, but numbers that represent souls that Jesus died for. Father, I I, I pray for that over Operation Christmas Child. Father, help us to glorify you in all ways and also through our finances. Father, once again, if there's someone here today who needs Christ as Savior, I pray you draw them to yourself. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.